0: Good morning, show Sportsnet 59 and the fan band and Spring Gunning. So, they're going to do the All Star Draft on Thursday this week. Beeps be there. Awesome Matthews making their picks. Yeah. No doubt hilarity will ensue. It'll be so funny. Honestly, the, the NHL doesn't get enough credit for being the first league to try this thing out. And then, Coward, you know, went away from it because I guess we, we can't have Alex Ovechkin laughing at Phil Kessel I mean, for we, some reason. i
1: I feel like
2: we can. We yeah. just fumbled the bag on that one, guys. We should have leaned into laughing at professional I, athletes. It, it's for a line. fine. That's, that's what the money's for. I was for. just about to say. That's yeah. what the money's for.
0: Anyways, so they they did a thing that the NBA is like, oh, that's a good thing. Yeah. we'll We'll try that thing. We can With, do that thing. And we have athletes people know and like. Yeah.
2: And who are not afraid no. to ruffle some feathers. Uh, personal, nor is the media afraid to help them a lot. Like that's the best part of the NBA one is that mm-hmm. it's like if Kevin Durant and LeBron James are not going where the storylines want to go, you just have Charles Barkley. Yeah. What about that crime baby Draymond green or yeah. something along those lines? Like it's, it's incredible. So the NHL can do
0: a similar thing here. They could be the first North American pro sport to have playoff teams select their opponents I would love the idea. I think it would add extra impetus to to finishing in a top four spot in your conference. So here's how it would shake out right now. Yes. Let's just talk about the East. Yes, please. Because it does feel like it's an Atlantic Metro dichotomy here where the 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 perennial powerhouses and I think the teams that you'd least want to face are in the Atlantic division. The Metro, like no offense to the Rangers, uh, but I I, I think even the top team of the Metro you'd you'd take your shot at. Uh, even though Ilya, or uh, Igor Shosturkin has had an incredible career, this is not his best year, and he could go on a, a heater and, and beat you in a playoff series. I don't think anybody's too afraid of the Rangers. That being said, the Rangers are at top four in the conference, so they get their pick. You don't get to choose the Rangers. So this is the way it would work, is that the top four teams would get to pick, and really the top three, because the fourth team gets stuck with whoever's left. So the Bruins would get the first overall selection. Here's here's the standings. Bruins, Panthers, Rangers, Hurricanes, Lightning, Leafs, Red Wings, Flyers. Flyers would be the last team in in the Eastern Conference. I think pretty clearly the Bruins would select the Flyers. That would be a
2: no-brainer. <laughs> I don't disagree, but I'm just putting myself in the position of doing sports radio in Boston. They go, you hand of all people John Tortorella bull- right. or, uh, bulletin board material. I, again, this is why this is the best idea, and we'll never see it come to fruition. But please continue. I, that's, you're absolutely right. That would be
0: spectacular television slash uh, media discourse in yeah. the oh. days preceding that series. Yeah. It's why we should be leaning into that. Yes, Anyways, agreed. And it's probably why they won't do it. All right. But I think the Bruins would take the flyers and they'd mm-hmm. say, oh, we, we don't even want us to select. Like, this is the way the standings would work out anyway. So right. we're, okay. they, that's you how they, the, they would message the it. That's good. Uh I think the Panthers would take the team that they would line up against the Red Wings. Where it gets interesting is the next team. The Rangers are the third team and the team that would make the final selection. So you, you could select, um, you could select the, the Toronto Maple Leafs is the team that they would line up against, or you could get a diminished version of this Lightning team, or I, I don't know. Depending on the rules, like could you select a Hurricanes yeah,
2: team if you're doing if. If you're doing a draft, mm-hmm. then they're in my world, in mm-hmm. something that does not exist yet, we're just giving them a good idea. Let's not make it any less good. You could pick anybody you want.
0: Okay. Where where would the Leafs line up if you were picking an opponent? And it was between the Leafs, the Lightning, who yeah. I mean, they, they've got the the pedigree, although mm-hmm. boy. In not last year. Yeah. And they're worse than last year, mm-hmm. but they do have a Hall of Fame greatest goalie of a generation, Andre Vasilevsky coming off surgery and maybe Mm -hmm. working his way back to that. And Steven Stamkos with plenty of proof. Uh, You got a hurricanes team that man, they're good at limiting uh, the opposition's attempts. And if they just got any goaltending at all, and obviously that'll be something we can judge at the end of February here. But yeah, a a team that does not have the same pedigree as the Lightning, and you got the Leafs who have won playoff series in the seven years of having the best goal scorer in the National Hockey League, but I think rightly, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's all gone so poorly over the last seven years, I don't think it's not just it's not just talk from the Bruins and Lightning players who look at the Leafs as like a scary first round opponent because those games, quite often, say for last year when it only went six, have gone to a seventh and deciding game. Who of those three would you pick if, if, if you had your, your, your pick in the Eastern
2: Conference? Okay, before I answer your question, I don't know that the Florida Panthers wouldn't pick the Leafs because of the owning them factor. Like, I don't I don't Ooh. think that there is a non-zero. Oh like, I don't think. Like, you think it's a zero. because No, you're, you're not wrong. Who's making the decision here? I mean, maybe the owner makes the decision. Okay, maybe the, the GM. But, I mean, if if Brad not, Marchand has been on record as saying he feels like he owns the Leafs. Yeah. Maybe they pick, maybe they take them. Now, I think that the Flyers are so much more gettable, especially, you know, if it's a diminished version of them or whatever you have. But if it's, like, how do you go to Mathika Chuck and tell him, oh, and Sam Bennett and all those guys, how do you say we're not going to take that can team? I, can I be honest with yeah. you
0: for a second here?
2: Please. I hope you always are. Yeah,
0: but I, I, I'm going to be very honest oh, here. real truth. <laughs> I think if... The Bruins or the Panthers selected the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. It would be exactly what this Leafs team needs. Like I, we can quibble about, <laughs> hey, do they need to like play important games down the stretch and get into the playoffs? And like up, I could see out by that. Their peers. I could see that. Like maybe working out, but I don't know. We've no. seen this Leafs team in every in every incarnation. What is? We need more hate from this Leafs team. We need this team to be doubted by its peers. Yeah. And like I said, the Bruins and the Lightning have said good things about this Leafs team going into those series, and they've gone mm-hmm. seven games. To have them publicly called out by a Brad Marchand yeah. directly or indirectly by selecting A-chuck. them before yeah. they – yeah, I that's exactly – I mean, you want to see the, yeah. the Leafs win a Stanley
2: Cup? Yeah enact this playoff draft god and that's why we'll never get it like just another reason why it's like it'll make the least too powerful it's the one thing that can that can completely neutralize their their kryptonite to get back to the question that you actually did ask i think of all those teams but do you, you agree with me on my point though right yes i wholeheartedly agree with you yeah i don't I, I i it's a great point i just felt like it was so obvious there was nothing else i could possibly have like this team <laughs> of perfect course day. like if you want to know what it should be, we should all be pooling our money to take out, like, like missing person posters in the papers oh during the goodness. playoffs, okay? Uh, you all do that, uh, you know, like, uh, but that's actually what this group needs. Like, that is exactly it. So, to your point. Almost everybody on this team needs. I almost. Think. Almost. There's yeah. one guy that I feel like it probably oh. wouldn't. Oh, yeah, no, not not him. Tell yeah. him that, like, they're so scared of you. Yeah. yeah. The opposite guy for him. But to get back to the question you asked there, so if it is between the Lightning, Hurricanes, and Leafs, I think that so long as Vasilevsky doesn't look like zombie Vashi, who's back in the last 10 games of the season, which I'm not, I will never rule out, like, until he retires, I'm not ruling that that possibility out. I think unless you, so long as you don't see that, I think you would go Lightning there. Because I think the Hurricanes have just kind of been... And this isn't so much this year. It has been a bit of a lesser version. But I almost feel like the Hurricanes have been kind of golden night's light for the last three, four, five years of just... They play such solid hockey. Yeah. And, the, I mean, they just haven't got the saves. And unlike Vegas going out and getting Peter Angelo and you go out and get Eichel, just a little touch of lack of star power there. But the Hurricanes have been a, a machine for the last... I mean, basically since Brod, uh, Brendamore's taken over. Yeah.
0: No, I... I... <laughs> I view the, the Hurricanes as being a goaltender away, but, yep. I mean, who's not? Who's not? Depending on the goaltender, everybody is a, a goaltender that. away. That's very true. All right, time now for our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Let's talk to Thomas Hickey, former NHL defenseman, NHL network analyst. How's it going, Thomas?
1: Hey, guys, I'm good. How are you guys doing?
0: doing all right all right uh, explain to us why this wouldn't happen why why can't we have the playoff draft where the the top team in each conference <laughs> gets to select its opponent in the first round tell me it's not a great idea
1: it's it's too good of an idea for it to, uh, <laughs> to ever work it make the
2: nhl too powerful
1: yeah honestly like it, that's such a it's such a fun idea and really with the you know, the parody that there is in today's NHL, like you might get a better matchup because you look around these, a lot of these divisions and two versus three, you're losing such a good team right away. But at the same time, um, you know, we, we also understand hockey's not like other sports. I think there'd be so much pride on the line that, um, you'd almost just want to go with the team that you were slated up with and not ruffle any feathers or give someone extra motivation because, uh, You know, I think everyone would feel slighted.
2: That's exactly what we were saying. We actually said that we feel like we unlocked the thing that this Leafs core in particular needs is the Panthers or the Bruins to say, you know what? We're going off the board. We think we own you guys, and we want the Leafs. Again, it's never going to happen, especially in this iteration of the NHL. But, oh, my God, I'd live for it. And, you know, like we can dream. we got the player draft. I didn't think we'd see that back here. I don't know. You You have slightly more pull than us, Thomas. So if you like this idea, feel free to run with it, please. Yeah,
1: don't uh, don't count on me making any rule changes.
2: <laughs> uh so uh I mean obviously a lot uh at play here in the at the kind of unofficial halfway point of the season before we dive into any one team in particular just kind of your overall thoughts on the league cuz something we've kind of gone back and forth a little bit at least on this show about this year is that you know in years past it has really felt like a wide open NHL where anybody can win, and I do still genuinely believe if you get in the playoffs, you have a chance, but there's been a belief that there is such a big bushy middle that maybe there is kind of a true pack of contenders, you know, however small you think that group is, be it Vegas, throw Vancouver in there, the Jets have looked like that team at times. Do you think that there is, you know, there, there's never going to be not parity in the in the NHL this year, but do you think there's almost so much of it that the few teams that have kind of shown the ability to separate themselves, maybe, maybe they are kind of a little more more clear above the the class than we've seen in the past, where in, in years past, I mean, look at Boston last year, right? They win the president's trophy and they get bounced in, in the first round. What do you make of the idea of how many teams have a have a shot to win the cup this year?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a talking point. I, I think a lot of people would point to it not being a healthy thing, but reality is, you know, if you've got a ton of fan bases in a month's time from now that think they've all got a a shot at winning people are going to tune in and watch and it's going to be exciting hockey i don't have any issue with that but look the way i look at the league right now is in the west i i truly think that there's seven teams that could win a stanley cup uh, on that side and obviously it depends what your health's like uh when the playoffs roll around and it, you know how's your team doing obviously the la kings are awful right now yeah. um i hope that they figure it out i think that that's a team that this could be their year. Obviously, do you need help on the back end? Do you need everyone clicking at the right time? Well, we saw them win uh, just as much as they've been losing recently, earlier on in the season. So if they figure it out in time, they're part of my seven teams. Uh, And you look at those top seven in the West, Like truly, uh, I could name you reasons why those teams could come out out of the West. And on the East, it's different. And uh, and, uh, it, it doesn't just include you know, Boston um, at the top being the lone team like last year, you go all the way down to well into the teams that are hunting for a wild card spot and you've got good hockey teams everywhere. So um, I I, I just think there's so many powerhouses in the West and and less in the East. uh, But uh, here we are talking in January and there's so much to figure out. And generally what matters the most is how are you playing at the beginning of uh, we'll, we'll call it from like mid March uh, until the, you hit that point in mid April, and usually the team that's that's finding its stride or peaking is the team that's got the best chance. But I, I don't have an issue with parity at all.
0: Yeah, and and maybe we'll we'll just look at this little blip. Uh, by the Los Angeles Kings is just a blip, um, or or maybe it it, it will be the the beginning of the end of their season, but Drew Doughty was one of a couple of veterans to call out uh, his team earlier this season, a couple of weeks ago. Devon Taves also calling out his Avalanche teammates. Those are a couple of guys with with Stanley Cup rings, but yeah, we've seen the Leafs go through some tough stretches here and kind of looking around, waiting to see who who the player is that's going to be a little more critical of this team. It hasn't necessarily come and and you were teammates with John Tavares in the early stages of earlier stages of, of his career and it, i don't think it's ever going to be a public facing thing for him like with the media but does he have a little bit of that in him like what 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 kind of leadership do you think John Tavares is providing in the dressing room at times for this Leafs team
1: yeah i think you know you've you've heard taves you've heard uh you've heard doughty I think what John would say is, it's let's be better. We need to be better. It's uh, and look, reality is in NHL dressing rooms. Um, you know, chances are the guys that are getting called out are getting called by called out by people that are close to them, close with them, um, and and that's not being done in a public forum because that's not the place for it. Uh, you know, so in every single dressing room, and I I I'm not in the Leafs room. I, I don't pretend to know. Um, you know, but I assume if there's more needed from the group it's coming from probably the guys with letters in their jersey or uh the mark giordano's and it's a collective thing and if it's uh, singling in on one player or two players that need to be better it, it, that's not really let's pull your pants down in front of the team and, and you know get on you in front of the dressing room it, that's usually done in a different fashion but look everyone has their own style and and, and i think when john would would want more out of the group. It's, we've got to be better. I've got to be better. Let's be better. Um, And and I think there's, that's the way to do it. And, you know, we're talking about two teams that uh, two guys and two teams out of the entire league that have done that this year. The one thing I've noticed about Toronto, you know, and I I think is Sheldon Keefe continues to um, coach more and more games. You know, he's not afraid to lay into lines at certain times and um, say what the team was really short of it and you know I think that that's a bit of a growth because as a coach I think you want peace and harmony but probably an understanding that we've got to figure this out uh, this season and we want to build on last year and I think you're seeing more and more from that from him and I don't think it's um, you know coincidence I think there's a feeling there that that this group wants to pick it up a little more.
2: Yeah, certainly, and you know there have been there have been times in the past where Keefe has been you know pretty publicly critical. He's had to walk some of those comments back. It was kind of a big topic of conversation both times. But the thing you're mentioning there about him just talking to guys on the bench, there was also you know the least power play really going through it. Uh, they kind of came out of it in the last game against Winnipeg, but they had a one for twenty stretch, and he sat down Marner's and Matthew and Nylander on a power play, and then sat down Marner and Ma- Marner and Matthews a little more beyond that. Like, what does that do in a room? Seeing. You know, we've all heard stories of a coach – yelling at a second line, third line guy or a second third pair guy, and we all know who he's really talking to. But we've also heard stories of, yeah, this coach came in here and held Star X to account. How much more does how much more weight does it carry when you see a coach holding guys like that accountable? Because you know, it's it's easy if you're Sheldon Keefe to say, All right, open the door, go out there again, like go prove me wrong. But what does it do kind of in the moment and carrying over when you see the coach actually holding star players to account?
1: I think you need to have it, Um, you know, and I think you got to be careful. Look, I'm I'm not a coach. I've I've been around the game long enough to know that um, ice time is the ultimate power that you have as a coach. And words are important, but, you know, there's communication that that is better than saying things publicly. But I've got no issue with the way Keith's gone about it. But ultimately, ice time dictates everything. And I think by doing that, sometimes you just go, look, this is valuable time. You guys are better than this. We need results. And if you're not going to do it, we'll see if someone else can. And they might have, they might be more productive with those minutes. And, you know, at the end of the day, the ice time is the one key thing that your coach can decide. It's not money. It's not uh, what you've done previously or what your reputation is. It's, that's the ultimate thing that you want to get from your coach and that he can give to you. So I've got no issue with it. And I, I don't envy him because he's got so many, uh, big names to not massage, but really to manage and see how they all fit in. And, uh, I don't think he's got any issue if he's not getting the best out of everyone, uh, finding another way and trying to push some buttons. And I think that's what you have to do until you, until you figure out what finally is the perfect remedy.
0: Uh, it's it's an ideal situation to also have four Stanley Cups at your disposal when you're disseminating the information or d- delivering the hearts' messages, which uh, Patrick Waugh, of course, has as he re-enters the league as the head coach of the Islanders. And, yeah, start record-wise, not so great as an Islanders team still on the outside of the playoff picture looking in the Eastern Conference. They're 1-2-1 and one after that uh, debut win against the Dallas Stars. And we understand this is a guy that's very grateful to get another opportunity the way things ended in Colorado. And I, I think... Most people understand that it was the relationship between he and the front office there in Colorado. But, like, have we seen a different Patrick Waugh as far as his relationship with the players and with the media than maybe we would have expected, Thomas? Like, how how is this Patrick Waugh different or maybe the same as the the guy we saw in Colorado?
1: Um, You know, I, I think, uh, look, I, I was playing at that time and I remember there was a lot of talk about Patrick Waugh, but... um you know, I wasn't as close to it as I am now and I, I think the big thing that I've taken away since he's been here is uh he said that he's learned a lot. Uh he's had a lot of time to reflect about that and he's I think he's probably a much more well rounded coach for a guy that's been coaching in junior the last uh last five or six seasons. But look, his uh his media presence, um, you know, even, even after the last game here, he sort of thanked everyone for the the week that it's been uh, just with uh, the chaos of coming in and taking over the job and doing things right away. But he's given us so much to work with as far as the, the quality of things that he says and where they're coming from, you know, deep, well thought out things. And with his players, look, there's passion. And I I talked to guys that he coached previously, and they said he is a passionate guy. He's really intense. um, And he's probably learned, you know, a little bit. And what I've seen so far is uh, an extremely passionate guy that wants to get the most out of his players. And the one thing that stands out is he's just trying to bring everyone together and sort of change the mentality a little bit of uh, how this team's going to get things done. And that's together. And through the first four games, look, one, two and one, that doesn't sound good. Uh, This team's played so much, so much better. And at the start of the season, uh, you know, even up to a couple months ago when this team was sitting in the playoffs, but you go, but is this, you know, is this sustainable? Can they keep this up? Is there a chance that they can make the playoffs while well, getting this badly outshot and this badly outplayed some nights? And fact of the matter is they were sticking around and now that stopped and they dropped down the standings and in comes law. And this is a group that needs to be, competing at the very highest level and i often give them credit for that but with him they found a different level and it sort of maximizes uh the skill sets that they do have and it's changed their metrics completely and over the past four games you know they've they've set season high for shots on goal twice they've severely cut down the chances they're giving up they just look like a different hockey team and uh it's the spark that that was provided i'm sure he's excited to get practice time under his belt. There's really only been one. Uh, So with this break coming up, I think it's sort of the perfect time for this group to regroup.
2: Yeah, I did see the some clips from that one practice, and he was just cruising around, whistling at players. But he didn't have a whistle; he was just doing it like an old like soccer coach or something. Like I thought, I I am I, again as somebody with really no investment in it, I am so happy that Wa is just back in the league. Like you need characters, you need people. Like we don't have this. Like Rob Brindamore. I mean, unless there's some other obvious one I'm I'm missing in terms of players that or coaches that played and were prominent prominent players, you you just don't see it. I did want to ask you one more. You know, during your tenure on the island. Uh, you had Jack Capuano behind the bench for a long, long chunk of it. And then the change came to Wade, eventually Barry Trots there. What is it like when there's a change for a coach who has coached a group for a while? And, you know, Capuano, uh, I believe you guys had had some success uh, winning at least the one round there. What, what is it like for a group when you see a coach who has had a long run and you go, ooh, all of a sudden it's different? Like we always hear about the gut punch, but, or the, you know, the the wake up call that it can be. But what's that like from a, from a player's perspective? Obviously everybody's different, but from yours.
1: Yeah. So, you know, what, what I'd say to, uh, I, and I've been asked this question a lot lately since, since I took over and look the way I see it, 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 this is, this is, I'm not talking about uh Capuano or mm-hmm. Wade or Trotz right now. I'm talking about any NHL room at any given moment. Um, uh, you're going to have a handful of guys that, that feel like they've got a new lease on life. They're happy. They think maybe um, they weren't being seen, seen in the light that a new coach coming in is going to see them. in. so mm-hmm. they're, they're really excited. You've got, probably more than a handful of guys that said, I grew up as a player with this guy. And this, this hurts because he believed in me. He gave me chances. Am I going to get that from the next guy? And then you've got a whole bunch of guys in the middle that are just saying, it doesn't matter. Uh, I know who I am. I, I just need to prove myself and I need to make sure that I make the best impression on this next guy. But what that does through all of those people is it does create energy it does create a bit of emotion whether it's you know negative or positive and that all pools together and I think that's why you see these these coaching bounces where new guys come in and they take over and all of a sudden you've you've got a boost for for about three or four weeks and and the team wins and there's more energy I think you see that a lot for me personally look I was in that boat when Jack Capuano got fired that this is the first NHL coach that I had that believed in me and uh more than anything more than just believing in who I was as a player, you know, it was like how I competed. And those are the things that he looked at. And that's why I played all the time. And I was, you know, I was devastated because here's a guy that that gave me my start. And now Doug waits here. He was in a similar boat. You know, I have known Dougie for a long time. So I was excited to play for him, but I felt like, geez, if I was better, you know, could Jack still be around? I think mm. that's the feeling of a lot of guys, but in reality, you don't have time to, to go back in the past. You wish that person well and hope to see them again on the circuit as it is reality in the NHL. And, and sure enough, Jack uh, found his feet m- multiple times and I can still keep in touch with him, but it's too bad. You move on and, and you play for your new guy. And I think those are sort of the, all the different mindsets that, that go into each different player.
0: Well, it's just, it's, it's a good news story that Patrick was back in the league and I uh, can't wait to see the media contingent uh, and the questions he's asked uh, on uh, his return to uh, Toronto. On Monday, as the Leafs and Islanders resume their seasons, first game of the second half on Monday here at Scotiabank Arena.
1: Thomas, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. You guys got it, and yeah, I think you'll get you'll get plenty of good answers. Oh, uh, buddy, uh, come Monday. So I'll, I'll be there listening myself. So uh, all the best <laughs> to you guys, and thanks for having me on. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, this is Thomas
0: Hickey, former NHL defenseman, NHL Network analyst. He was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus. Where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom, visit donvalleynorthlexus.com.
2: I kind of hope somebody just catches him off guard right off the hop with What do you think of this young? Le- what do you think of this Leafs core and how they how how they've been slowly building? Because he like he will just answer the question yep. if you give it to him. He's not going to play your like. I mean he'll play he'll play the game to a certain extent, but he'll also just answer the question. So yeah, I uh, uh, I cannot wait. Again, a weird thing to say about a coach, I know. He's growing. He will grow the game. Need yeah, more people like him. Yeah. Craig barubi has got a recent
0: Stanley Cup. Sure. And yada, yada, yada. And Boy, what a story that would have been if, and no offense to Sheldon Keefe, who, again, like, do we have to keep coming to the microphone saying, think he's done a great job, yeah. especially during the regular season? It hasn't hear. been his fault that these guys have faltered in these seventh and fifth games Agreed. in the postseason. Agreed. But Patrick Waugh here
2: oh what i would have given to have just tweeted the wink gif at anybody from montreal i might have like i don't know that you can make a flag of a gif but that might have been out front of my home afterwards
0: Uh, (laughs) patrick waugh on legends
2: row after leading this toronto maple Leafs to the oh oh, you missed the joke i was gonna say to the second round yeah it's like at this point honestly i don't that no yeah to the conference championship yeah Right. Or uh, actually, though, the greatest thing to grow the game, Patrick Waugh coaching the Florida Panthers. Mm. It's like that's the only way. If
0: you wish you could play like this. Oh, yeah. It would be so good. It would. <laughs> All right. Speaking of good, the NHL's transformation of Toronto for the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star this year includes NHL Fanfare, a four-day family-friendly event from February 1st to the 4th with interactive hockey games, special appearances by NHL players, and much more. Visit Rogers and Sportsnet. At the Fan Fair to win awesome hockey prizes, have your photo taken at the Sportsnet Hockey Broadcast Desk and test the speed of your slap shot with the Rogers Hardest Shot Skills Competition. If you haven't already, be sure to secure your tickets at NHL.com slash while supplies last. When we come back, Peter King was in Santa Clara for the NFC Championship game. He of Football Morning in America joins us next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
3: Diving deep into leaps. Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Fan morning show, Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. What stage of grief are the citizens of Detroit now? Because mm. the final one is acceptance. I don't think, yeah, on the Tuesdays after. anger one? I mean, I think anger is just kind of like the overarching thing. I think there's bargaining in there. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's uh, denial. Mm, No, I think they very much believe that did happen.
0: I feel like (laughs) bargaining is kind of the the stage they're in now, where they're like, "Well, I know it's. I mean, we're we're almost we're ten point underdogs against uh, a very good." Mm. Niners team and we were lucky to be In the lead at any point in that game anyways And we're we're, we're young and up and coming And our time will come I think that's
2: Where they're at now they're probably at the bargaining stage There's one there's different Ways they're written out but one is just called Pain and guilt and I don't know how guilty They feel but Mm. pain feels Pretty right Dan Campbell might feel some guilt uh, about some of those (laughs) fourth down decisions
0: in uh, the second half of that football game. All right, let's talk to Peter King, of Football Morning in America. He was in Santa Clara for the NFC Championship game. Peter, uh, how's it going? Thanks for doing this. Everything is going great. How about you guys? Doing very well. Let's start actually, like Good. with the, the the matchup here, uh, the Super Bowl matchup. Because I was the, I think I feel like the only person in North America uh, going into this past Sunday that was rooting for a Chiefs Niners rematch of the first. Um, Patrick Mahomes' Super Bowl victory and the ten-point fourth-quarter comeback. How do you feel about this matchup? Obviously, the Lions were were the uh, uh, football fans' darling, right? If you had no rooting interest, who didn't want to see that that city rise up? But like from a story perspective, how do you view uh, the Super Bowl matchup, Chiefs and Forty uh, ers
3: Well, I think everybody likes new, and I think everybody was sort. Third- Sort of in love with the prospect of seeing the Detroit Lions get to the first Super Bowl ever, get to their first championship game in 66 years. Uh, So I I understand that. I think this is an absolutely fascinating matchup. I I I I love it in so many ways. And one of the reasons is that Patrick Mahomes has shown himself to be, uh, you know, an absolute Mensa quarterback against really tough defenses, active defenses. Uh, and he's going to have to be that way, even though the 49ers defenses has really fallen off a bit overall. They were really good in the second half the other day, and uh, so I think that's a good challenge. But even more than that, Kyle Shanahan is... He and Andy Reid are both mensa minds on offense, and now here's how you look at it, quite honestly. Steve Spagnuolo against the boy genius Kyle Shanahan is a fantastic matchup. I love it. So... I'm really excited about the game. I'm excited about the X's and O's. And I'm also excited about the, you know, the players involved here. I think it's going to be really fun.
2: Yeah. It'll be, uh, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, I don't think this is a fair way to frame it, but I'll ask you the question, you know, how much is at stake for Kyle Shanahan in this? Because, you know, I don't think anyone's going to think he's no longer to your point, a Mensa level football mind, but 0-2 0-2 in a Super Bowl. You look at a loss to the Eagles, albeit where he had no quarterbacks in an NFC Championship game last year, and all of a sudden that record starts to look a certain way in the biggest games. Like, from a narrative perspective, how much is, again, I don't think the 49ers are throwing him overboard or anything along those lines, but all, all of a sudden are we kind of having Kyle Shanahan as the Lamar Jackson of head coaches, if you will, if he doesn't win this one?
3: Yeah, I don't really think so because I don't know anyone who would think that Kyle Shanahan's a, I mean unless they lose 49 to 3 I don't think anybody is going to think that Kyle Shanahan's a crummy coach if he loses to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in the Super Bowl but obviously you only get so many chances here um he wasn't playing defense on the you know on the Falcons when they lost 28 to 3 uh, the 28 to 3 lead and lost to the Patriots uh and look he has some things i'm sure he'd like to take back in that game but and and then obviously you know in the super bowl against kansas city they fell flat on defense and and again i wish i could sit here and say essentially that uh so much of this is his fault and maybe it is his fault honestly mm. <clears throat> for the coordinators that he was working with and or he hired. But, you know, I think that it's it's probably more of a defense.
0: Oh, we, oh, we got it, Peter. Oh, that, uh, I, yeah, sorry oh, about that. that. Yeah, Are okay.
3: you there? Yeah, we, we got you. Sorry. So I was just going to say that I think I would blame the defense a little bit more in those two games but look at some point you got to win one of these big games to be considered a great coach you just do mm-hmm. so and and who knows i mean look the guy's only 44 years old think of his career so far i mean it's really been pretty awesome so i i don't know i don't really view this as a measuring stick game and that if he loses to Mahomes and Reed he's some lesser coach but mm-hmm. again you know, you got to make your own judgments on that.
0: Yep, uh, absolutely. It is a, a rematch of that, again, the the, the first Super Bowl uh, championship of the Patrick Mahomes era, uh, a Super Bowl that he had to come back from down 10 points in, in the fourth quarter against this 49ers team. Different quarterback, of course. That was Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think many people viewed the the job that Brock Purdy has to do in a similar vein as that Jimmy Garoppolo Uh, 49ers team that he's just a game manager but in the last couple of weeks in in the postseason he's had to come back in the second halves and obviously looked horrible through the majority of of the divisional round game against the Packers didn't look all that great against a, a an inferior defense uh in in Detroit in the first half is it almost better maybe not even like a narrative perspective, but anybody that had doubts about Brock Purdy going into the postseason would have said that, oh, is he like, if, if the Niners go down, how is he going to lead them back? He's done it now twice in the postseason, Peter.
3: Yeah, I, I think, um, look, and again, I understand and I I wrote in my column a football morning in America yesterday, Brock Purdy, isn't the best at anything. Okay he's not the best runner, although he ran for fifty two yards in fifteen minutes, which basically determined the outcome of this game <clears throat> on Sunday. but he's not the best at anything, doesn't have the best arm, but he is his group package plus is very good, plus the fact that and look, I think we've talked about this before, but i I can't emphasize this strongly enough. I sat with Brock Purdy for eight minutes on Sunday night, about an hour, hour and a half after this game. And I think the two takeaways I had is, first of all, it looks like he's 16 years old. Second of all, uh, (laughs) he is totally, totally, he has been trained for moments like these. He doesn't get tight. He doesn't uh, spit the bit he He is wonderful, and part of the reason he got trained for this is that he went to Iowa State. He started forty six games. I'd say the majority of which he would have been the underdog. He had to go into Norman, Oklahoma and Austin, Texas, and play in front of a hundred thousand people who you know in <clears throat> in big underdog games, and he's used to uh big moments on big stages. And also knowing that people don't really trust him, don't necessarily believe in him. And I think he thinks of all of that stuff as total poppycock. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the next play. That's the kind of quarterback I want on my team.
2: Yeah, the mental makeup of him, I think even people who question the physical stuff at this point in time, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think those people have even left questions now, but the mental makeup thing is something that I think has just yeah. been proven through and through at, at this point. You know, switching gears to to the Chiefs, So much of it, obviously, is just the magic of Mahomes, and I don't want to paper over, you know, what Andy Reid has done. But so much of the magic of Mahomes, it's like he could throw as special a pass as he wants and buy himself as much time as he wants. But unless someone's going to actually put one or two hands on the ball and catch it, it's not going to matter. It's amazing how different conversations we have when his receivers are able to make some plays. I mean, obviously, Kelsey kind of finding a a little bit of, uh, you know, some some new legs late in the playoffs here, and then you, you see the big catch at the end from Valdez Scantling, it, it, it's amazing how uh, how different maybe some of these conversations we've been having about the Chiefs would be this year if they just would have had some of those plays uh, throughout the regular season, but obviously you'd rather have them now.
3: Well, if you think about it, this is the team that led the NFL in dropped passes this year. And so far in three playoff games, they've had three dropped passes, and Patrick Mahomes has determined right now that he's got two receivers that he can trust with his life. You know, uh, Travis Kelsey obviously is one of them, (laughs) and that is a long relationship. But the other one is Rasheed Rice. I mean, Rasheed Rice basically was the key to them beating Miami, and then they go into Buffalo, and Isaiah Pacheco kind of runs all over Buffalo, and, and, and then obviously Kelsey controls the game, In Baltimore on Sunday, I think, you know, and and I'm sure we talked about it, but in early November, I went to cover a Chiefs game in Germany against Miami. They they won the game, but they were not impressive offensively. And after the game, Mahomes looked me right in the eye and he said, I can promise you we're going to get the offense fixed. (laughs) <laughs> and,
2: uh, I'm just happy he didn't go to you like he went to Josh Allen going, these are the worst receivers I've ever seen. Have you ever seen anything <laughs> like this, Peter? That would have been more explosive. That would have been a better story, but, but
3: probably better for him, yeah. But I but I think, honestly, honestly, he knew at the time that he was going to get this fixed, and, and he would, by the force of will, figure out who was going to be his trusted guys. And now in the passing game, it's Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey.
0: Uh, before I let you go, Peter, it does feel like this is going to be an offseason where Bill Belichick is on the outside of the coaching carousel looking in and maybe going to spend a, a year in media. Is it is it, it just fait accompli that he re-enters the coaching pool after this offseason, like next year? Are we sure that Bill Belichick coaches in the NFL again?
3: No, I don't think so because, you know, understand that, if somebody hires him in the 2025 coaching cycle, that he will coach his first game at 73 years and five months old. Yeah. And, and again, we can say whatever we want about how, hey, he looks like he's 60, and he does, or maybe even 55. But at the end of the day, your birth certificate doesn't lie. And people are going to have to decide if that is the kind of coach, you know, at that age, especially with his last four years, who you want to entrust your franchise with, knowing that it's probably not a long-term decision. So, you know, we got a few months to figure that out. It'll be interesting to see. What, if anything, he does in media, I think – and I think whatever he does, he's going to be good at it.
0: Mm -hmm. Can't wait to see. Uh, Peter, appreciate the time. Uh, Enjoy California.
3: All the best. Thanks, guys.
0: See you, Peter. Peter King, football morning in America. Getting set for the uh, Super Bowl in a couple of weeks as the Chiefs and uh, 49ers not staying on the Las Vegas Strip, which is – Understandable. They're staying on Lake Las Vegas, which is about twenty five miles away. Sounds, from the strip. Sounds lovely,
2: Lake Las Vegas. Sounds yeah. wonderful.
0: Yeah, the media is staying at uh, where they say. The, what's oh, the pyramid? The, the Luxor. Yeah, the Luxor.
2: Yeah, I saw a lot of complaining. Uh, the side of the Luxor is painted like a Dorito. I was wondering if that was paint or a sticker or whatever. I feel like probably not paint. Okay, whatever. Sorry. It's, it hey, look, looks you, like a Dorito. You love to dunk on me for saying dumb sure. things all the time. So well, you it's can
0: dumb eat. that I said it's paint, yeah, instead think, of
2: a sticker. Yeah, I you do. think it's one giant sticker? They just I don't think it's one giant sticker. Multiple stickers. I think it's more likely stickers than paint.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, I mean, it's obviously not permanent. So yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: All right. Just uh, say I'm
0: right again, then we can move on. You're right. It's a sticker of a
2: Dorito on the and, side of and the Luxor. And you know Luxor. what? I'm getting greedy. Give me the good observation from Leon Dreisaitl yes. as well. I want that too, because it was a good observation it by me. It was a tremendous observation. Yeah, it, Great, great really observation. Great. Not even good. Great. Uh, you know, Truly was,
0: great. You know, it was a great observation by you also. It's like, hey, Patrick Mahomes isn't better than Tom Brady yet, okay? Yep, agreed. He hasn't won seven Super so, Bowls, including... You know, with two different teams, yet.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's a great observation. Well, okay, it's actually funny that you bring that up because I was thinking about that with Belichick. That, you know, there's been some belief that if he goes to TV, maybe it's Fox that becomes the home for him. Where he would be paired up with either Brady and Gronk or Edelman. But if he goes to ESPN, oh, it's like yeah. he's hanging out with Randy Moss and Teddy Bruschi. I actually think that Bill Belichick doing a year of TV and again, it's possible he does it without any of those guys, but with some of his Patriots' brethren is the best thing that could ever happen to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Mm. Just when maybe the worm, I don't think it is, but if there's a world where people are going, okay, I'm ready for the next thing, I've had a bit much of this, they're the dynasty, we hate them now, the evil empire, making sure to just be ready and apparent and part of mm. our football lives still. Like oh, I actually so think the true. fact that Belichick
0: and if well, he, had, and especially, I mean the narrative around Greg Olson yeah. and he's been so good, great. Like it's undeniable how great Greg Olson has been. And he's going to end up as the number one analyst somewhere. If it's yep. not Fox and it's Tom Brady, but yeah, if if the narrative is like, Oh, here are the Patriots again in our lives yeah. and it's Tom Brady and he stinks. He's not as good as Greg. Totally. Olson.
2: Totally. I yeah. think it's I think it's actually like one of the best things that could happen. I mean, the best thing that could happen to Mahomes is go win a Super Bowl in five days or whatever it is. But the second best thing is having Bill Belichick in your face every Sunday going, God, the guy's so much less likable than Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I wouldn't and I'm not saying that, but you all will be. I like Greg Olson. Here's the thing. I wouldn't put it past
0: Tom Brady to be great at broadcasting as well. Like if he actually puts his best foot
2: forward from an effort perspective that's it. You think Tom Brady's not able to watch a football game and pick up on intricacies that would be very interesting mm. to all of us? You don't, you no, don't I think that? I, I do no, no, I know you thing. do think yeah. that, but it's just – it is – you nailed it. It's effort. Yeah. The guy's a cajillionaire. His life mm. is, is great. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's not as great anymore. I
0: mean, although it, it, it is effort, but it's – there's also – you need something unquantifiable. Like, I'm sure Jason Witten tried his darndest when mm. he was pulling rabbits out of his head. But, you know, like, there's, like, something <laughs> – yeah, the, it's effort. You're right. Like, and well, the, the funny that guys that was, are the worst at it have you, the, obviously no preparation or effort involved, but it also, you do need something.
2: <laughs> it's so funny because I forgot that we were talking about Greg Olson at the beginning of this. I'm like, well, when's a tight end. You know, it's just not a position. Mm, yeah, oh, but, right. but Olson, him yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's I just am. the the guys who are close to the game, if they want it, they can be great at it. But the personality thing, that's the other part of it that I think is interesting is that Mm -hmm. Brady, you know, it's not that he's unknown. like, he's put out all the hagiography, you know, look at my documentary stuff, just like all these other guys have. But, you know, there's, There's a bit of a vacuum there in terms of like who Tom Brady actually is. It's like there's the guy we see. Mm -hmm. Then there's the guy who in his 40s had to get carried off of the boat on their championship parade day. That was great. Well, he's Mr. I don't drink. I don't eat ice cream. I think he had a couple of pops that day. He looked pretty fun. So that's the other thing is if we get Brady, do we get a likable version? Is this a bit of a – much like Belichick maybe makes us hate the Patriots again, is there a world where Tom Brady on TV Mm -hmm. becomes, dare I say – likable we'll see uh here's what i know for sure is that yeah okay
0: you're right patrick Mahomes isn't tom brady yet no okay I, i'm sorry great observation we we, another one we can't hit fast forward on the clock we can only live today okay yep. all right i get it sorry apologies he's on a, a better pace a better trajectory mm-hmm. than tom brady or at the very least the same tra- tra- trajectory he's never missed the playoffs, He's never missed an afc championship mm-hmm. game and yet another super bowl is a chance to win his third yep well, what's also true mm-hmm. is Say we it. unbelievably well, <laughs> no, not not just are we getting two of the all-time greatest quarterbacks back to back, but they overlapped ever so briefly mm-hmm. and played each other yep. in crucial moments. What happened? Well, Tom Brady won both, mm. and D. Ford was offside in overtime, and yada yada yada. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Tom Brady's yeah. pick taken off the board. Yeah just so what that's so sportsman what? that's and so what they met again in a Super Bowl Oh, I, the box had such a b- better and defense and the line and, was banged and, oh, up who cares agreed so if Patrick Mahomes and obviously like this is yeah. you know a conversation for, for a decade from now yeah but if he wants yeah. to be viewed as better than him he has to definitively surpass him in. Su- I think he needs at least eight Super Bowls <laughs> to be viewed as better than Tom Brady because we saw them not even at the peak of their powers. Yep. Like a diminished version of Brady and a younger, more in his prime, Patrick Mahomes, and he lost both times. You know what?
2: Honestly, I'm really happy that you said it because now I will still have straw man arguments with the rest of you out there. But with you, I'll not bring that to the mic anymore because you said the right yeah, thing. that's, it's just... True. But it we'll is. see. I mean, he could end up with 10 Super Bowls. Yeah. Well, would you put it past him? I yes, would, I, I would take the no, under. If you set no. the number at 10, I'll take the under. Thank you. He's going to be in the Super Bowl every year from now until eternity because uh oh, again. stuff. Josh Allen can't win. <laughs> All right. Joe Burrow's not exist Oh, yeah,
0: right. But he's going to be hurt
2: again. Probably.
0: All right. Probably. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben and Gunning, Brent gunning sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good morning.